So this morning we wrap up a series that we've been in called He Will Be Called. And we've been in this, uh, using this passage, this prophetic passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is our jump off point. It talks about Jesus, and this is what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. I don't know what uh, imagery comes to mind when you think about what the most peaceful place you've ever been is, but I want you for a moment to kind of think of the, the opposite of that, right? You've got your peaceful imagery, and think for a moment what would be representative for you as being the opposite of peace. I, I grabbed some images uh, that for me maybe can resonate with some of these that represent the opposite of peace. Uh, maybe for you, paying bills, uh, bill time every month, there's no peace in that, right? You're crunching numbers, you're struggling, maybe more months than not and just trying to figure out how in the world you're going to make ends meet. No peace. Uh, maybe, like me, uh, golf. Uh, no peace. Uh, I, and I love to golf, but peace would not be a word that you'd use to describe my golfing experience. Um, I generally have to repent quite a bit uh, when I'm done golfing. Um, maybe for you, uh, like me, uh, the dentist. Uh, really, yes, I heard some gasps. I know. Me too. There's baggage there from when I was a kid, right? And they strap you down in the chair and it sticks up in your mouth and you go to the dentist and it brings all that back. And she's smiling. Like, what is she smiling about? Nobody smiles at the dentist. But there she is. Maybe for you, dentist represents kind of a lack of peace. Right? Or maybe like me, uh, Indian food would be representative of lack of peace. I mean, it's good in the moment, but like an hour later, there's, there's no peace kind of in this area. Uh, very closely related to that. Uh, maybe no toilet paper um, would be a lack of peace. Worst case scenario, Indian food, then no toilet paper, right? Maybe a lack of peace for you. Um, maybe for you, uh, children, represent a lack of peace. Maybe not all the time, but when they're sick, when they won't sleep, when they're fighting, they're thinking, I just want some peace, and this is not it. Uh, maybe for you, on a more serious note, right, when you think of a lack, or like a, an opposite of peace or a lack of peace, think of war. You think of places like, like Syria, uh, where there is no peace and there's constant uh, fighting and death. Uh, maybe you think of, about the, the, the fiscal cliff, right? And, and just the, there's a real lack of peace every time that comes up. And, and you're reading about it, studying about it, learning about it, and it just makes you feel very unsettled. Um, maybe on a real serious note for you, a lack of peace would be represented in uh, the Texas Longhorns, like me. And we know that they cannot have peace because they are outside of the will of God, and so we must pray uh, for them. Very lack of peace there. All right, but, but now I want to kind of go to the antithesis, right? For you, when you think about peace, you think about the most peaceful place you've ever been, uh, what kind of images come to mind when you think about peace? You know, maybe if you're a product of the 60s, 60s uh, think about, you know, hippies. Um, think about bell bottoms. Uh, think about words like groovy and that peace sign. Um, maybe like me, for you, like the closest uh, thing to just perfect peace is camping. Uh, getting up in the mountains, maybe next to a river or next to a lake, under the stars, and for you, that would be very representative of, of peace. Uh, maybe for you, when you think about peace, your mind just automatically goes to Corona, and you're thinking of you on a white beach somewhere with a Corona in your hand, and the beaches, you know, the waves are just gently coming in on the beach. And uh, if that's you, by the way, Corona's got you. You just got to know their marketing team uh, got you because it's such a bad beer. If you think about peace... <laughs> And, and you think about Corona, to enjoy it, you've got to put a lime in it. That means it's not good. 
But you think about peace, you think about corona. Maybe for you, you think of uh, meditation, right? Meditating, yoga. Uh, for you, maybe it might be the most peaceful part of your week. I see that. I don't experience peace. I experience pain, a lot of pain in the groin and the hamstring area. Uh, but maybe for you, that's peace. I, I, I don't know. Um, or maybe for you, it's just the, the idea of getting away, right? Vacation, uh, retirement, right? The permanent, the permanent peace, the permanent vacation, the vacation that never ends uh, until you die. I don't know what you think about when you hear about uh, the word peace, but I want to I challenge you as we begin to kind of reflect, because uh, we're coming to the, the end of 2012. 2013 is going to be here very, very quickly. Got Christmas, and then it's going to be a new year. Uh, and so when you reflect on this, this past year, uh, I want you to, to ask yourself a question, and it's this. I, I want you to, to ask yourself, when you look back at 2012, would it be a year that you'd say was characterized primarily by peace in your life? or more by lack of peace, right? And more specifically, like, in here. So with everything that you went through, with everything that life threw at you, everything that happened in 2012, would you describe it as peace, calm, my ties on the beach, right? Or was it more like bad Indian food with no toilet paper, right? Lack of peace, very little peace. And, and, I, and I challenge you to start there because one of the things that, that I'm realizing and learning about peace is peace seems to be one of those things that everybody wants, but very few people actually have. Everybody wants it. Very few people actually have it. And when we don't have it, what often ends up happening is we, we try to manufacture peace for ourselves. We, we, we cope. Um, we try to, try to create even if it's just a momentary peace, even for just a moment to forget about everything that's going on and, and we cope. And for us as Americans, you know, we don't really have a reputation for peace, right, on a global scale. We, we don't. In fact, we're pretty notorious for some of the ways that we cope, right? Maybe for you, you cope by eating, right? Nothing wrong with eating. I love eating, right? Some of my most intense worshipful experiences are with a medium rare prime rib, mashed potatoes, <laughs> microbrew IPA, praise Jesus. I love to eat. I love food. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with eating. But for some of us, we eat to cope with what we're going through, right? We eat when we're depressed, right? We eat uh, to grieve. For some of us, we'll be doing a lot of that over Christmas because for many people, Christmas is not the most wonderful time of the year, right? But it's the time of the year where there's the most conflict, there's the most pain, and we're the most conflicted, the most lonely, right? For some of us, eating is one of those things we go to, even if it's just for a moment, to give us some sense of, of peace and calm. Or for some of us, very American, right? We, we respond to, to not doing well by just grabbing the, the credit card and the shop, the, the credit or car keys and running to the mall, right? Or to Best Buy or hopping online and, and, and buying something, right? Because it just like gives us our fix, makes us feel good about ourselves, even if just for a moment. And again, nothing wrong with shopping, right? We're, we're doing shopping as a family, shopping for our friends and family for Christmas presents, all right, but when it comes to coping mechanisms, right, when, when you spend with money that you really don't have, and before you know it, you're underneath a load of debt, and there's no peace, and there's no, there's no room to be generous for things like we're doing today, and there's no room to, to tithe and to give uh, to what Jesus is doing through his church, and there's no margin, right, and there's a lack of peace. I read this week by, from Dave Ramsey, um, who, if you know Dave Ramsey, he's a financial guru, very wise, works with many, many people, um, and organizations with doing financial counseling. 
And uh, he said this, he said in the next 10 years, 80% of Americans will experience a financial tragedy of five to $7,000. How's that for lack of peace? Feel that? 80%, eight out of 10 people in this room, he's saying, in the next 10 years, will have a financial tragedy of five to $7,000. Right, for some of us, like, that'd be enough to, to break the camel's back. Real lack of peace. For some of us, it's not so much the spending, it's the saving. Right, we, we try to create for ourselves some peace by, by just getting ahead enough, getting enough in the bank, enough in retirement, turning in that corner. Finally, we think, finally, when I get to this point, then I will be safe, I'll be secure, and, and I can finally have peace. Right? But then something happened. There's a recession. Oh, and then there was another recession, right? And now fiscal cliff, right? And if you're the kind of person I'm talking about, you know a lot more about the fiscal cliff than I do uh, because you're worried about it. You're reading about it. You're worried about how it's going to affect your business. You're, you're worried about how it's going to affect uh, your, your investments. You're worried about how it's going to affect your life, your future, and, and you're just overwhelmed with that, right? There's no peace. But some of us go looking for it and try to create that for ourselves by saving. Some of us, perhaps a number of us in this room, we cope we look for at least momentary peace and release by drinking. Right? And it's not just enjoying a good bourbon or a good beer or a good glass of wine. right? Because we can't have one or two. We need enough to be okay with us. We drink when we sat, we're sad. We drink, drink when, we're, when we're happy. Right? We drink when we're wor- we don't want to go to work on Monday. We don't want to think about it. Right? Just to lose ourselves in the moment. We drink because we're not okay with us. Not okay unless we have something in our system. In fact, this week, I uh, heard an article referenced talking that, saying that right now, more Americans use drinking to help them sleep at night than ever before. Right? It's just medicating ourselves. Right? We don't have peace, so we drink. We, we, we don't, can't sleep, so we drink. We don't like us, so we drink. We don't like our jobs, so we drink. Just a release. Right? For you, maybe it's not alcohol, but it's pills. Right, right now, the most number one prescribed medication in the U.S. right now is no longer prescribing medication for the common cold. More than that, um, antidepressants. And just so you know, depression runs in my family. Some of the people I love most in this world uh, are on medication for depression. So just know I'm not one of those religious wahoos who thinks that every health issue is really just a spiritual issue. And if you just pray it enough... God is going to magically heal you, and if it doesn't happen, it means you don't have enough faith. That's a load of crap. <laughs> All right? God created this world. He did. He gave us the ability to explore it and study it. He gave us the command to cultivate it, and he gave us the gift of being able to develop medicine that has saved millions and millions of lives. All right? So just know, that's not where I'm going with this, but can we at least just agree that we tend to over-medicate, like as a culture, Right. Sometimes, rather than it being like the last step, it's like the first step or the second step. Right. I'm hoping we're getting away with this, uh, away from this, but it seems like just yesterday, like every other little boy was being diagnosed with ADD and being prescribed Ritalin. You know, it's just like he's a boy. Of course, he can't sit still. You know, it's like let him run around the block, climb a tree, blow something up, jump off the house, he'll be fine. You know. And that's not to say that no boys have ADD, of course, that's not the case. But can we just agree that, that we tend to over-medicate? And perhaps for some, and when we're talking about antidepressants, perhaps for some, it's really just medicating a deeper issue sometimes. And there are some people who need it, but 
there seems to be a really a, a lack of peace. Um, some people, they, they go to look in the mirror, right? And they look in the mirror and they don't like what they see, right? Because gravity has caught up with them. And they think, you know what? I don't like the way I look. I don't have peace. If I could just get those two on the same page, if I could finally just look the way that I want to look, then I'd be okay with myself. Then I would have peace. I mean, how many TV shows do we have now that are centered around like plastic surgery and enhancements? Right? This is like culturally like mainstream now. Right? Lots of people having nip and tucks and getting rid of this and getting more of these and getting more of these. And it's like, that's what I need. Right, but, but it never brings uh, lasting fulfillment, right? And, and some people, they, they just got to learn the hard way that, you know what, you can't fix what's on the inside by rearranging what's on the outside. Right? I think that's tweet-worthy. Right? You cannot <laughs> fix what's on the inside by rearranging what's on the outside. Uh, some people go looking for it in a relationship, and I see this one a lot. Go looking for it in a relationship. Some guys, they just like playing the game. Love the dating game. Love the, the cat and mouse, the chase, the thrill. Right? Just playing the dating scene. And they love it. Right? Some girls and guys do that. Right? Others, they just, it's just that, that excitement of like a new relationship. Right? That, that feeling when that person uh, that you think is really handsome or really cute, you find out that they think the same about you. And it feels good. It really does. And, and there's that excitement. Uh, some of us, like, it's more than that. It's, it's looking for that future spouse. And we just think, you know, if we can just find that person who will make us whole, that will complete me in the fullest Jerry Maguire sense of the word, right, my soulmate, my best friend, the love of my life, then, then, then I'm going to find peace. Right? Or how about this one? Your family. Or some people think it's, if I can just get my family right, and you think if I can just provide for them, if I can just give them those things that I never had as a kid, then, then it'll be okay, right? And if they can just be successful, then, then I can rest, then it'll be all right, right? You know these parents, right? They're the ones you're afraid to sit next to at the YMCA little basketball games, right? Because they're screaming at the kids, and they're screaming at the reps, right? Are you blind? That's traveling, right? And you just want to turn and be like, they're six-year-old girls. They're all traveling, you know, this is not the WNBA. Right? They're more excited about the Capri Suns and the orange wedges at the end of the game than who wins or loses. Right? And maybe you're not that parent, but you are this parent. Right? In the sense that you just think, you know what, if I could just make sure my kids are safe, if I can just make sure that they do well at school so they can get into a good college, so they can get a good job and provide for themselves, so they can, if they can just find a good spouse and settle down and have a family of my own, their own, then I'll be okay. If they're okay, then I'll be okay. Then finally I can rest. Finally I can be at peace. Right? And then something like Friday morning happens. You know? And some 20-year-old kid walks into an, uh, an elementary school, small, safe town, not all that unlike Lincoln, right? and, and shoots, shoots his way in, shoots a handful of adults, and then somehow... Turns the gun on, on 20 innocent little kids. And in a moment, the peace that we thought we had is gone. Because we realize, in a moment, I don't have control over anything. Right? And the peace that we thought we had is replaced by, by anxiety and, and worry and fear and questions. What if, what if this? And, and what if that? And, and how can I prevent? Right? But we can't. 
because we're not in control of anything, because we can't manufacture peace for ourselves no matter how hard we try. And no matter where else you turn, right, whether it be to, to eating or, or to altering your image or saving money or spending money or relationships or your own family, the truth is you put your trust in peace, your hope for peace in that, a day will come when it will fail you. And when it does, what is left but heartache and depression and suffering and questions as to why and to how and any peace we thought we had is gone gone in an instant. And some of us are there right now this morning. Some of us, because at least in part because of what took place on Friday. And for some of us, we've been there for a long time, long before Friday. And there's no peace. And, and here's the thing. We can either keep running to those things. We can keep trying different things, hoping that that will finally bring us peace. The next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Or we can go to Jesus, who is described as the Prince of Peace. It's an interesting name, Prince of Peace. Right? But it's something, this, this idea, this bringer of peace, was something that was described to Jesus from the day of his birth, from very early on. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, says this. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. What do I mean by peace? Because uh, I, I read that, and I don't know about you, but I think oftentimes when we think about peace, we think about absence of conflict, right? Peace is where everything is smooth, there's no problems, there's no fighting, there's just an absence of conflict. But when I look at the the life of Jesus, and I look at the birth of Jesus, I don't see that kind of peace at all. In fact, the context he was born into was anything but that. Because no sooner is he born, we read Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15, it says this. It says, when the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and he took the child and his mother and during the night and they left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophets that out of Egypt I called my son. So this little family flees the country under the dark of night like fugitives. It seems like no sooner is he born are they having to cross the border just to, just to keep him alive. I read that and I don't see peace. I don't see any peace. I see the opposite of peace. And so what does Herod do? In the very next verse, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, 
Now I read that, and that takes on new meaning for me after this week. Jesus was not born in the context of peace. I think sometimes we just forget that the context of Jesus' birth, this prince of peace, was genocide, was the systematic murdering of many children, two and under. And this, by the way, would continue for the rest of his life. It began no sooner than he was born, but throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus having to avoid populated areas because there were those who sought to kill him. He was a hunted man over and over and over. We read a couple times that they actually went to seize him, but Jesus managed to escape with his life. He was a hunted man. There was little to no peace for him until finally, as an adult, he surrendered himself into their hands and they finished the job and murdered him. That, to me, doesn't sound anything like peace if peace is absence of conflict. But maybe it could be peace if peace, as it's being described here, is much deeper, more encompassing, more full than just an absence of conflict. We want to share a video with you this morning. And um, it actually was just shared with me fairly recently. uh, And I showed it to a few people asking their opinion. And we felt that this is just something that was all too appropriate and and something we just had to share this morning. And this is actually, um, it's a unique take on the Christmas story. It's actually a poem uh, by a guy, uh, written and read by a guy named John Piper. And uh, if you do much reading and you happen to be kind of of the reformed bent, then you definitely know John Piper. Um, He's a pretty prolific scholar, thinker, uh, theologian, and and he's a great pastor as well. And he tells this story, uh, the Christmas story, through the eyes and the experience of the innkeeper who housed Mary and Joseph that night. And what I want you to hear, and the reason we wanted to share this, in addition to just being beautiful and powerful, is I want you to hear and listen for the kind of peace that is described. Was it a peace that's absent of conflict, absent of pain, absent of suffering, or was it something more? And just so you know, it's, it's about 10 minutes long, so it's kind of long, so get comfortable. Um, it starts off a little slow, I'll warn you, but hang on, because it gets really good. So that being said, enjoy. So quickly do we pass over the Christmas words, Herod slew all the male children, two years old and under. But the poet lingers, weeping, raging, looking at the dark spot in hope that any prick of light might become a portal for the sun. And what he sees, he strains with words to show, pressing us against the perforation of the wall of pain. The innkeeper seeks to reveal the light that shines behind this brutal moment in history and our own path of suffering. Come and see. Jake's wife would have been 58 the day that Jesus passed the gate of Bethlehem and slowly walked towards Jacob's inn. The people talked with friends, and children played along the paths, and Jesus hummed a song and smiled at every child he saw. He paused with one small lass 
to draw a camel in the dirt, then said, What's this? The girl bent down her head to study what the Lord had made. She smiled, A camel, sir, and laid her finger on the bulging back where merchants bind their leather pack. It's got a hump. Indeed it does. And who do you believe it was who made this camel with his hump? Without a thought that this would stump the rabbi guild and be reviled, she said, God did. And Jesus smiled. Good eyes, my child. And would that all Jerusalem within that wall of yonder stone would see the signs of peace. He left the lass with lines of simple wonder in her face and slowly went to find the place where he was born. Folks said the inn had never been a place for sin, for Jacob was a holy man, and he and Rachel had a plan to marry, have a child or two, and serve the folks who traveled through, especially the poor, who brought their meal and turtle doves and sought a place to stay near Zion's gate. They'd rise up early, stay up late to help the pilgrims go and come. And when the place was full, to some, especially the poorest, they would say, We're sorry there's no room. But stay now if you like out back. There's lots of hay, and we have extra cots that you can use. There'll be no charge. The stable isn't very large, but Noah keeps it safe. He was a wedding gift to Jake because the shepherds knew he loved the dog. There's nothing in the Decalogue, he used to joke, that says a man can't love a dog. The children ran ahead of Jesus as he strode towards Jacob's inn. The stony road that led up to the inn was deep with centuries of wear and steep at one point just before the door. The Lord knocked once, then twice, before he heard an old man's voice, round back, it called. So Jesus took the track that led around the inn. The old man leaned back in his chair and told the dog to never mind. And had no one to tend the door, my lad, for 30 years. I'm sorry for the inconvenience to your sore feet. The road to Jerusalem is hard, ain't it? Don't mind old Shem, he's harmless, like his dad. Won't bite a Roman soldier in the night. Sit down. Jacob waved the stump of his right arm. We're in a slump right now. I've got lots of time to think and talk. Come, sit, have a drink. From Jacob's well, he laughed. You own the inn? The Lord inquired. On loan, you'd better say. God owns the inn. At that, the Lord knew they were kin and ventured on. Do you recall the tax when Caesar said to all the world that each must be enrolled? Old Jacob winced. Are north winds cold? Are deserts dry? Do fishes swim and ravens fly? I do. 
a grim and awful year it was for me when God ordained that strange decree. How could I such a time forget? Why do you ask? I have a debt to pay, and I must see how much. Why do you say that it was such a grim and awful year? He raised the stump of his right arm. So dazed, young man, I didn't know I'd lost my arm. Do you know what it costs for me to house the Son of God? The old man took his cedar rod and swept it round the place, empty, for thirty years alone. You see? Old Jacob, poor old Jacob, runs it with one arm, a dog, no sons. But I had sons once. Joseph was my firstborn. He was small because his mother was so sick. When he turned three, the Lord was good to me and Rachel, and our baby Ben was born the very fortnight when the blessed family arrived. And Rachel's gracious heart contrived a way for them to stay there in that very stall. The man was thin and tired. You look a lot like him. But Jesus said, "Why was it grim? We got a reputation here that night. Nothing at all to fear in that. We thought it was of God. But in one year, the slaughter squad from Herod came, and where do you suppose they started? Not a clue. We didn't have a clue what they had come to do. No time to pray." No time to run. No time to get poor Joseph off the street and let him say goodbye to Ben or me or Rachel. Only time to see a lifted spear smash through his spine and chest. He stumbled to the sign that welcomed strangers to the place, and looked with panic at my face, as if to ask what he had done. Young man, you ever lost a son? The tears streamed down the Savior's cheek. He shook his head, but couldn't speak. Before I found the breath to scream, I heard the words: "A horrid dream! Kill every child who's two or less. Spare not for aught, nor make excess. Let this one be the oldest here, and if you count your own life dear, let none escape." I had no sword, no weapons in my house, but Lord, I had my hands, and I would save the son of my right hand. So brave, Rachel was so brave. Her hands were like a thousand iron bands around the boy. She wouldn't let him go, and so her own back met with every thrust and blow. I lost my arm, my wife, my sons. The cost of housing the Messiah here. Why would he simply disappear and never come to help? 
they sat in silence. And Jacob wondered at the stranger's tears. I am the boy. I am the boy that Herod wanted to destroy. You gave my parents room to give me life. And then God let me live and took your wife. Ask me not why the one should live, another die. God's ways are high, and you will know in time. But I have come to show you what the Lord prepared the night you made a place for heaven's light. In two weeks, they will crucify my flesh. But mark this, Jacob. I will rise in three days from the dead and place my foot upon the head of him who has the power of death. And I will raise with life and breath your wife and Ben and Joseph too and give them, Jacob, back to you with everything the world can store. And you will reign forevermore. Listen, real peace is not the absence of conflict. Real peace is the presence of someone. And, and I just wish I could communicate this as, as passionately and authentically to your heart as I could. If you keep chasing after other things to bring you peace, if you keep thinking, if I could just get this thing, if I could just turn this corner, if I could just have this, if I could just get there, then I'd be okay, then I'd have peace. If you continue after that, you can chase that for the rest of your life and you will find your life without that peace for the rest of your life. You will find yourself met continually with disappointment and disillusionment and pain. And when it happens and when those things you trusted in gets flipped upside down and it's gone, what is left but just confusion and pain. You'll be lost and the very peace you've been searching for and trying to achieve on your own and manufacture will be the very thing that you will be unable to find. Peace is not the absence of something. It is the presence of someone and that someone is Jesus. And your peace and my peace is a reason that he came Jesus is the Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, the phrase Prince of Peace is Sar Shalom. Sar Shalom. Sar means the one who is in charge. It means the captain. It means the Lord. It means the chief. It means the general. Right? The Romans used this Sar, and then it became Caesar, and then Caesar, as in Julius Caesar. The Sar was the one who's in charge. Jesus is the Sar of Shalom. What is Shalom? Shalom is more than just that peaceful, easy feeling that the eagle sang about. Shalom means rest, tranquility. It means completeness. It means wholeness. Jesus is a sar shalom. You could say that, that Jesus is the captain of rest, that he is the Lord of tranquility, that he is the chief of contentment. He's the Sar Shalom, and in Jesus we can have peace. Now, can you do anything you want and have Jesus' peace? Well, of course not. 
right? So, you know, can a guy who knows better take advantage of his girlfriend, be sleeping with his girlfriend, get her pregnant, come to church, and just expect to just have the peace of the Sar Shalom? Well, no. Why? Because they're living out of step, out from under the lordship of the Sar Shalom, just doing whatever they want. Right? Jesus has the ability to, to, to give peace, and he has the ability to take away. Right? Can a couple just have at each other in anger right? and just demean one another and wound one another, embarrass their kids, and, and think that they're just going to have the peace of the Sar Shalom? Well, of course not. Why? Because they're doing something that is outside of the will of the Prince of Peace. Right? Can someone just go and rack up tons of debt that they can't pay for and just expect to have Sar Shalom? Well, no. Why? Because they're being unwise, they're being irresponsible, they're, they're acting outside of the will of the Lordship, uh, of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Jesus can give that peace and he can take it away. Why would he take it away? Well, because he knows best. Right? I mean, he might do it because you're going down a path that you don't want to go down and you're going to have to learn some lessons that you do not want to learn them the hard way. And he cares about you enough to pull that piece away, try to get your attention. Or perhaps he, he takes it away because he's trying to draw you back closer to himself. He can give it and he can take it away. So, what is, Aaron, that's great. What does this mean for everyday life? Um, I'll just give you a couple thoughts. And, and this is not going to be all inclusive. Uh, there's many other things that we could say about Jesus, the Prince of Peace. But in light of this week, and this season, um, let me just give you a couple of thoughts. Number one, uh, Jesus, the Sar Shalom, is the peace that comforts you. He is the peace that comforts you. Right? Some of you right now, it feels like things in your life are just spinning out of control. Some of us all of a sudden just feel like our world has been flipped upside down, and maybe Friday has something to do with that. For some of us, that's been going on way before Friday. That just made things worse. And you need to know that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, your Creator and your Savior, cares. And He has the ability and the desire to extend to you His, his peace, to bring you comfort. Listen to the words of John 14, 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, He says, Peace I leave with you. Whose peace? My peace I give you. My peace, the captain of contentment, the chief of wholeness, the Lord of rest. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because I give you my peace. I'm leaving it with you. Not someday when I return and reconcile all things back to myself and establish a new heaven and a new earth and there'll be no more death and no more pain and no more suffering. Not then. Now. Right now. Now I leave with you my peace. So do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. I give you my peace, right? And you might say, look, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, I, I'm not experiencing that peace. What's with that? Right? Maybe it could be just in this season, you got things going on where you're trying to do things your, your own way. You're off on your own, trying to figure things out, rather than coming to the Prince of Peace and letting him have control and have rule, and you're just going about it the wrong way. Listen to, the, to what uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 how we ought to handle it. And I love this. This is so good. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what? And the peace of God, 
which transcends understanding. I love that. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, right? And so there's this amazing thing when we come under the lordship of the Prince of Peace, that he has the ability and the willingness to give us a peace that doesn't make sense. When our inner world is falling apart, when our outer world is falling apart, Jesus has the ability to give us peace that the world looks at and says, that, that doesn't equate, that doesn't make sense. But it's still there. I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, Megan and I and our families, we went to a, a, a funeral of a close family friend. Funeral of a gal who's just 42 years old, mother of three. Her youngest is six years old, brain cancer. And they've been fighting it for a couple, few years. Did surgery, did radiation, therapy, chemo and thought that it was gone. Like, everything looked like it was gone, and then all of a sudden, it came back, and in a very short period of time, she died. And we walked in that church, and just let me ask you, what would be understandable in that situation? What feelings, what emotions? I hear about that. I'm thinking, rage? Is rage fair? Anger? Confusion? Disorientation? Lack of peace? to say the least. And we walked in and got to spend time with this man, and we've gotten to see him a number of times since. And this guy was a rock. And at first I was just thinking, oh, shock, you know. But I've seen him a number of times since. And that day, we did not just mourn the death of a 42-year-old woman, mother, wife. We celebrated an incredible life. And her husband led us through that. And we've seen him a few times since. And if he was here, and I wish he would, I wish he could just hear it from his voice. He would tell you, I just have a peace. I don't know how to explain it. I have peace. I know she's with Jesus. And that wasn't always the case. They were a rough couple who were friends with my in-laws. My, my father-in-law led them to Christ, and God just did this incredible work in, our mar- in their marriage. But he would tell you, I have peace that, that my wife is with Jesus, and I just, God is close right now. I'm okay. I mean, I miss her desperately, but I'm all right. There's something about walking through those times. Some of the people that I know Uh, that know Jesus most profoundly and the peace that he brings have walked through stuff that is almost unimaginable. The people have experienced the most pain, the most heartache, the most crisis. Why? Because in the midst of that, when the rest of us look and say, that's awful, how horrible it must be to be you, and yes, it is horrible, they meet Jesus who gives a peace that transcends understanding. Sometimes you, we just don't know how good God is until we experience just how hard life can be. And some of you are right there, right now, in the season, and you have to know that Jesus can and will and desires to give you a peace that transcends understanding. Jesus is the peace that comforts you. And secondly, Jesus is the peace that saves you. Right? This is, this is, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. Right? It's not just that cute little Jesus laid in a manger with his little golden fleece diapers, you know, cute little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. No, we celebrate that that Jesus grew up to be a man and he lived a life of purpose and mission and that was to live a, sinful, a sinless life on our behalf to march to that cross and to die for our stuff, our sin, our problems. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The Lordship of Jesus, the Sar Shalom, through him, through which we can have peace with God. Jesus is the peace who brings salvation. Check out Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, some of you right now, you're wondering, you're here. Maybe you're new to the Mosaic community. Maybe you're just visiting. Somebody conned you into being here. Welcome. And for you, this, is full, this just sounds like out of left field because you've never experienced that. I mean, you're trying to be a good person, and at the end of life, there's like a scale between like bad things and good things. You're pretty sure you've done more good things than bad things, but this whole peace with God business, you've never had that, not even close. And you need to know that this peace that we're talking about, it does not start with you getting your life right and resolving to go to church more and read your Bible more faithfully or pray more often or give more money. It's not about that at all. But it starts simply by a step of faith and saying, Jesus, I know I don't deserve it, but I believe that you are enough. That you are enough. Ephesians 2, verses 13 and 14 says this. says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, that's all of us, by the way, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For what? For Christ himself is our peace. Jesus is our Prince of Peace. He is the one that your soul longs for. And no possession and no relationship and no achievement will ever bring you the peace that you are searching for and longing for. It can only be found in your Creator, in our Savior, in Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Sar Shalom. And let me tell you, it's not always easy, but you can have peace with God, and it is a peace that is going to overflow into areas of your life that you don't think possible, where you have maybe never experienced peace before. I'll end with one more story. Some of you know the story of Horatio Spafford. Uh, Horatio Spafford was an American lawyer uh, who lost everything he owned in the Chicago fires of 1871. Everything he owned was gone. Just two years later, uh, his wife, Anna, and their four daughters hopped on a ship across the Atlantic and travel to England. And on that trip, her, their ship collided with another ship, and it began to sink. And, and as the, the ship was sinking, Anna gathered together their four daughters, and they began to pray. And the ship sunk, and they were scattered into the waves. And that day, all four of those little girls drowned. And later, Anna was found unconscious by a rescue ship, they took her back to London, and she sent a, a telegram, a cable, back to her husband, two words, saved alone. And immediately after that, uh, Horatio jumped on a ship to go be with his grieving wife and to take her back home. And on the way, as they were crossing that ocean, he began to write a hymn. It is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And I read that and I just think, how, how is that possible? And I mean, he wrote that, peace like a river? And what does a dad who just lost all four of his little girls who just is traveling by the very waters where they just drown, spend the whole thing talking about Jesus. My sin, oh, the bliss 
of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. What does that have to do with losing your four little girls? And might I submit to you, everything. Because in the Bible, in the story of Scripture, we have a God who says, I lost a son too. And not by tragedy, and not by accident, but by choice. For you. And you have to know, if you have never had that peace, it is yours for the taking if you want it. And it begins with surrendering your life into the hands of the one who longs to embrace you as your star shalom, as your creator, as your savior, as your prince of peace. And so if you've never crossed that line of faith and you are feeling led to do that this morning, I want to lead you in a prayer where you can do that. Let's pray. And if you've never done that, you can repeat after me, the words are not important. Put them in your own words. Personalize it. But it begins with a small step of faith. Repeat after me. Jesus, I've never had peace with you. Peace with God is something that is foreign to me. But there's something in this message, although I may not know everything that the Bible says, there's something in this that rings true inside of me. And I long to have that peace. And so, Jesus, I'm yours. I trust that you are enough. I don't know what I have to give, but I give you all of it. Jesus, we pray for those families in Connecticut this morning. We pray for... <clears throat> moms and dads and brothers and sisters who are trying to make sense of a very senseless act. And we pray that this would be one of those seasons when you extend the peace that transcends understanding. We pray for the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are there, seeking to love on a people that are so broken and hurting. And we ask that through their tears and their hugs and their words and their presence, Jesus, that perhaps through this tragedy, good would come in the sense that they would come to know you as their creator and as their savior, that they would know peace in the circumstances where it seems there could be no peace. They would know you and be embraced by you during this time. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who 2012 was not a year of peace whatsoever. And 2013, at this point, is not looking any better. And Lord, I ask that this would be a season this Christmas where they would come to know you like they've never known you before. That you would draw near to them as they draw near to you and that you would extend them the peace that you have promised, the peace that you give as the Sar Shalom. 
the chief of contentment, the Lord of wholeness, the general of rest. Lord, we love you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.